Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Speaking Human podcast and in today's episode, we are flying virtually into Chicago, right Rich? That's right. Rich Nander is joining me. He is a co-author of The Transformation Myth, which I'm excited to talk about because transformations have no start and no stop as much as people wish they did. Um, And uh, he's also a principal at Deloitte Consulting. Rich, how are you? Doing really well, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Now, you said to me, don't talk about the Boston Red Sox. What's going on? Well, look, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. It's been a uh, it's been a very difficult year. Um, Hasn't it been to, a difficult uh, lifetime? Yeah, you know. Look, I was on the phone with a bunch of Braves fans earlier today, so I'm just I'm a little turned off from, from uh, professional baseball right now. Hey, are you a music? Do you follow music? Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge music fan, but I'm a loyal follower of like you know a, a few bands. So. Uh, so, like, because Eddie Vedder, who's the lead singer yeah. of Pearl Jam, right? He's a huge, right. huge Chicago Cubs fan. And that almost, it almost makes me want to like him. <laughs> uh, well, I, I look, I came of age in the 90s, Eddie Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder. You know, that was, that was big for me in college. So, um, and it's your birthday and- this weekend. You don't tell me you got Eddie Vedder coming to your birthday party. No, 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 Eddie. I couldn't get him. He was busy. Hey, let's talk about your book. What's the premise behind writing a book on transformation? No one writes about transformation anymore. Hey, look, um, lots of people are, you know, writing about transformation. I think we took a fairly unique cut at things, which was, um, look, in an, in an era of lots of change and uncertainty, uh, a lot of it driven by innovation that's coming from, um, you know, tech technology. Um, how are leaders supposed to deal with uh, all the change that's coming at them that creates uncertainty, that creates disruption and opportunity in their business? Um, we thought it was a good idea to, to start to kind of study and research that and help business leaders better navigate uncertainty. And um, you kind of said it in your opening remarks, transformation is not a one and done, right? Mm-hmm. It's a way of being. And when change is continuous and it's coming right at how you compete and provide value, you have to be really adaptive, responsive to those changes. Um, And that's why we call it the transformation myth, right? Transformation is not a one and done event. You got to keep going. And so, because we live in pretty unprecedented times, right? And you always say, I reckon like 10 years ago when sort of cloud and mobile was coming in, we were like, man, the pace of change has never been faster. And then you go 10 years later and you go, man, the AI and machine learning and the and edge computing, it's never been faster. And then you have COVID thrown into the mix. Let's start just so everyone can sort of get a scene set. Who are you dealing with? Like, what do you do in your day job? And then that'll back into like, let's talk about the people that you're dealing with and the challenges they have. And then we can get into like, all right, so what are the recommendations for what we do? Yeah, Dave. So I am... Um... I have the, uh, the privilege of leading our strategy business here in Deloitte. Uh, Monitor Deloitte is, uh, is um, our practice. And we have, um, we have capability around corporate and competitive strategy, very traditional ways of thinking about, about strategy. We have tech and digital strategy in our practice, thinking about the influence of technology and how that um, impacts the competitive dynamics in an industry. And we have a transformation practice. So how do you go from point A to B over and over and over again? And you put those three things together and you get to do some pretty cool things hmm. with clients. Um, and we work with 
business leaders um, and their technology partners to think about the future business they want to be in, design those businesses, and then chart chart the course and help them on the course. Um, and as a strategy unit in Deloitte, what's super cool is we have a multidisciplinary capability across all of our clients' needs, and we're the architects, um, and then we're the general contractor, right? So we get to design that future state and then be the, the GC that pulls in the various capabilities of Deloitte on that journey. So can I, uh, forgive me for this question, because I'm going to be the one, that, sometimes I play the devil's advocate, right? And so I play the thinking of what someone in the audience might be thinking. They go, oh no, here we go. He's a consultant. He's going to come and tell us stuff that we already know, or we're never going to do. Like what's a day in the life? Like what's it like? Are you dealing with like executive teams that are like, how do we keep up with the pace of change? And they have set remits or yeah, just to talk me through like a day in a life of your, sort of your consulting practice without, um, you know, forgive yeah. me for that, for the obvious kind of, you know. Look, I, I welcome the, all the skeptics out in the, uh, in the audience and hopefully one day they can be clients. Um, so let's, sure. let's, let's talk about the day in the life. Um, look, we have, we have some clients that, you know, they're in a stage where the, you know, the uncertainty is presenting the problem and they don't yet have the solution. They're not sure kind of what are the ways they need to engage with customers differently? What are the products and services they ought to bring to to market to meet new demand or fend off new competitors? And and we'll do some work with them to imagine and design um, strategies that that get after the, the problems that present themselves. But more often than not, you know, clients have a pretty good sense of what they need to do, right? And and we come in and we help them beat it up, make it make it better, make it sharper based upon you know, our expertise and experiences. But the really hard part is in initiating and sustaining the change journey to go achieve yeah. that future state and launch those pro- uh, products. And you know, that's where executive teams really value the outside in um, expertise. And, and frankly, the, you know, the, the spine to stick with it and to have a drumbeat of change in an organization that, look, these businesses are already, you know, very busy operating and sustaining the business of today. And so an outside and influence as a consultant to help them go build the, the business of tomorrow in parallel. So that's like the setting that we're usually walking into. Yeah. Do you do like, are there big trends? Are there big trends that people are coming at you and going, we need to embrace new technology. We need to do better customer experience. Is it product related? Is it cultural related? Obviously, like, and obviously knowing culture is like, it's part of, you know, I guess what you're saying really is like, once you sort of instigate this change, it's the culture that you need to keep continuously nurturing to make the sort of ship turn in the direction that you want it to go. But is the first preempt, the first sort of like trigger for like, we really need help. Is that based on product? Is it based on people, new technology? What sort of things do you see as sort of the big trends? Well, look, it can it it comes from lots of places, which is what makes I, I often say we're in a golden era right now. Like every business is going to reinvent themselves and make you know a better version of themselves in the next um, you know decade or so. And so it's a golden era to be a, a business leader and an innovator and a in a consultant advising. And so the triggers. There, there could be, they could be all of those things. Um, 
I think though, you know, there's a few common ones right now. Um, I think data is a really interesting trigger for a lot of companies. They know that they need to be for their products and services to be uh, the best in the market. They need to be more insight led about where their customers are, where their customers are going. Um, and they need to not only kind of get a handle on their own data, but connect it to data that, you know, consumers may be giving with them or other trading partners. And then they need to automate how that data gets processed. And they got to kind of apply intelligence to it. Um, zero out of 10. Zero is because everyone wants to be data-driven, right? And they all, yeah. say it. they all say it. They go, we want to be data-driven. In your experience working with companies, and clearly you don't have to name them, but if you go zero is, yeah, we're saying it, but we don't really have any idea how to do it. And 10 is we're like best in class, absolutely nailing it. Where are most of the companies in that zero to 10? And you can define your own scale. I was just trying to get a sense of like, where yeah. are we? Well, I think um, got a, the big corporates are at a two. Yeah. And what's interesting is you have all these digital native businesses that now are big corporates, by the way, mm. and they're at a two as well. Amazingly, companies oh, wow. that you know are digitally native and, and, and you know, not, of course, there's going to be a dispersion around that. And there's some sevens and eights out there. Yeah. But um, as, as companies get bigger and more complicated, getting your arms around the data uh, gets harder and harder. And, wow. and it really is. And, but look, once you get to a seven or an eight, you can stay there. Like you tend to stay there. Companies that get to seven, they get good at it. They build the muscle and the capability mm-hmm. and they stay there. All right. Who's um, seven and eight? Can you name them? Yeah. Who are they? Look, I'll give you one example from the book. Um, so we can name some names because they're in, you know, they're, they're in the book. They've agreed to be um, examples. Okay. They're, they're, they're the good ones. Um, you're, yeah. You're naming the seven and eight. Can we name the yeah. two after? <laughs> after we're done That's recording, awesome. maybe. Yeah, yeah the Boston Reds, the Boston Red Boston Sox. Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Boston Red Sox. I'm just kidding. Oh man. All my friends. I'll be so disappointed. Like, uh, oh well, keep going. Um, I'm sure they're a seven or an eight, too. I have I, I bet no you idea. they are. Yeah. Chicago Cubs must be one then, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, judging by results. Um, all right, back on back on the, the back questions. On track. So, seven or eight. Come on. So uh Anthem is a US based healthcare company. And um they, uh, their you know, essential business model is connecting patients with large hospital systems and providers, and they transact all kinds of records across you know, this healthcare value chain. Um, and a few years ago, a gentleman by the name of Rajiv Vernanke, who we interviewed and we featured in the book, was brought in as a chief digital officer. And what he saw was a company that was very data rich, essential records about the kinds of things patients needed, the services uh, that doctors were providing to them, um, you know, how the payments were, were flowing, how the, uh, you know, the care was, was flowing, but none of that data talked to each, talked to each other. It existed in a lot of different silos. Um, And he saw a clear mandate that, look, we got to modernize this data. We got to get it organized. We have to get it in a way that it, that it's connected and it talks to itself. And then we have to layer automation on top of it. So as new data comes in, we don't need to be a bunch of people manipulating it. It kind of, there's, there's automation that, that um, moves the data around. And then we need to apply 
uh, AI algorithms to the data. We have to build new levels of understanding about you know, what all this information flow is telling us. And, and in so doing, what they were able to do in the pandemic uh, was they were able to provide uh, proactive nudges to patients that were not going in for treatment because they were worried about the hospitals mm-hmm. being full of, of people with the virus. And they were providing the nudges to say, hey, you got to go in and get this preventative care and here's some safe places to do it. Or here's a way to get that ter- care via telemedicine. Um, so like life, life, life-saving stuff, right? From a aren't company you going, and a leader. Aren't you going in your head though? You go healthcare company, you go, uh-oh, on-premise, legacy databases, can't shift it to the cloud, data records, privacy, restrictions, regulations. I mean, that's the most of the healthcare providers that I know. And because as soon as you said seven or eight and you went, here's a healthcare provider, I went, what? No. So they, what did they do with the data originally when they said they were cleaning it? Is they, did they shift it to a cloud or they just do their own on-premise cloud or like, what did they do? You know, it's, it's, it's a mix of, as it always is. If you're seven or eight, you know, there's no pure play. It's all in the cloud. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some things that, you know, have to stay on-prem for, for privacy or regulatory reasons. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's the data architecture is a mix. Yeah. Um, and look, the sevens and the eights, they can do it in a comp- the complicated environment, right? Cause there, there is a solution. It's, it's hard and it's messy, but when you were talking earlier about culture, it really was, that's like, look, we're sitting on these troves of data. Mm. We have to be able to, to, to use that data to provide better service um, and better outcomes for the people we're serving. And, and that was the mandate. And after that was, you know, the, technically there was a way. Don't you think everyone is like that? Don't you think everyone is just sitting there and oh yeah, but the database sits over there. It's hard. And it's just like getting fit. It's just like, do you set yourself a goal? Do you want to run a marathon? Yeah. I want to run a marathon. When do you want to run the marathon by? I want to run it in a year. All right, let's break this down. How are you going to do it? And you just have to have the urgency. Every That's company right. can do it. Every company can go from a two to a seven or an eight with urgency, right? With the cultural that's, urgency and a vision to go, let's all do it. We're doing it. That's that's exactly right. And and you know, so we landed on data. You, you said, what well, what are the triggers? I think this is a there's a cop out for every company. There's a cop out on the data. Well, we don't have the right governance, um, and we got to do the governance first. Um, you know, the data has been messy for a decade, and it's a big project to get it cleaned up. So. That this is one of the reasons and, and an environment where you have to be more insight led. Like there's no, there's no choice anymore. You have to be insight led. So I think it does come down to leadership and a mandate and culture and a, and a kind of can do growth mindset that doesn't see problems. It sees opportunities and solutions. So what was it with Anthena? Was it Anthena? Anthem. 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 Damn, sorry. Anthem. What was it with Anthem? Um, did they, it, was it a person that came in? Like you said, the chief digital officer came in and then that might have been the instigator for like, and I would assume if they're bringing a chief digital officer in, the rest of the executive team is like, we need some help. We need a leader. We need cultural change. He will be the spark or she will be the spark that will change. And and then the next question is how long did it take? Yeah. So it does take you know, an inspired leader that has the combination of vision and, and know-how Look, but before Rajiv, who came in as the chief digital officer, there was a CEO that saw the opportunity and the need for an executive like Rajiv, right? So it, it really does start at the top with, you know, vision and commitment. 
but then bringing in that, that catalyst, um, you know, to, to, to make it happen took years. Yeah. It took, you know, this is a few years in the making and it continues, right. If Rajiv were on this podcast, what he'd say right now is that, you know, they're not done by any means. They it's, and it's again, the, the, the myth that you're, you know, there's some finish line. Yeah. Um, there's, there's always more to do as data, data sets grow. Once you apply AI to them, guess what? The algorithms have to be trained and the algorithms themselves produce more data. And, you know, they have to be, um, you know, they ha- that all has to be managed and controlled over time. Were, were you guys under pressure to show value very quickly though? Like, you, you, you know, like I talk to a lot of sales reps, right. And they go, you know, this AI implementation, will take like a year to really bear fruit like for it really to work for cultural change for the algorithms to be changed to to be trained as you said and show them in production and so everyone's time poor and they're all under pressure hey we're making this big investment we need to see value like immediately as well as long term it's back to the training analogy i need to know that when i do my workout every day is it working and, and that's right. the feedback loop that I'm getting. Do you get the same pressure? Well, absolutely. It's a, and a second real trigger is financial, whether it's, hey, we have the, a big idea and ambition and plan, but it's going to cost you know, more than we're contemplating. How do we think about return on investment? Mm-hmm. Or we're on halfway through our journey we've been spending. We're not seeing the, the value. And um, look, the the... the this gets really hard. And um, part of it is like, how do you find some value along the way to show progress and, um, you know, to keep the, the investment coming? And part of it is patience, right? And I think what, what, what will, I described earlier, we're in a golden era, but what's going to make the golden era hard is the horizon from kind of dollar one being spent to realization of the full ROI that's longer than, you know, other historic technology projects where we were, you know, streamlining the back office and payables, as an example. Um, you know, you're building a new product or service. Guess what? It's going to take a while. Um, and there's going to be failures, right? You need a portfolio. There has to be some, you know, some, some things are going to work and others are not. So the kind of the logic and the trusts around return on investment is, is different and for a lot of companies that are still under pressure to show results quarter by quarter, you know, they got to create those, that investment and risk-taking profile in concert with delivering today's mail. And it's, look, it's not an easy task, right? It's, it's easy to talk about. Um, it's very hard to be, um, you know, to sustain it. Is that something that when you're going in and you're consulting, you'd create knowing that a lot of companies are quarterly based, working towards a vision that's a year or two years, Will you then map your ROI sort of like roadmap and success metrics against that sort of quarter and go, hey, by the end of this quarter, we're going to show A, B, C, and D, and that means we're on track, and then E, F, G. Is that sort of how you would map it out to help sort of support that model? That's right. And look, the the art of this is, you know, you have to have some metrics that are that are measuring you know, tangible, observable changes in the P&L or the balance sheet uh-huh. quarter by quarter. Um, but that's not going to be the full return on investment story, right? Then there have to be some leading indicators that say we're making progress in ways that matter. And in four quarters, right, we're going to have some tangible, observable um, impact on our PL in the form of new customers, new revenue streams, 
But between this quarter and four quarters from now, how what are the things we can track to show that you know the investments are starting to bear fruit? You know, we've run X experiments, and in those experiments, we're getting a different set of customers to you know to come into our um, to our portfolio, things like that. To what extent are you able to use? You know, you have like you have hard metrics. You have the hard metrics of PL, like cost savings, you know, increased revenue, market share, these sort of things. To what extent are you able to use softer metrics, stories, anecdotes, feedback? Because some of that relates to culture. Yeah. Look, we we use it all the time. It does come down to the leadership of an organization. And, and we talk a lot about a growth mindset and mm-hmm. The, you know, that's the, the, the leaders that have a growth mindset, they're seeing opportunities and not challenges. They're the ones that can sort out that balance and use stories and narrative because you have to bring a board of directors on the journey. You have to bring investors on a journey. And what we do observe is boards, investors, there's patience, right? There's patience when there's confidence that the results are going to be there and, and you can attract capital if you know there's trust and confidence in the management team, um, so you know it's definitely doable. But it's a it's a it's an art, right? It's not not going to all show up yeah. in a spreadsheet. Do you think the newer generation are the ones that are more more um, lenient towards the stories? And, and my my just my only thinking, and I only was just sort of you know thinking about this right now, really, is like. These SaaS software companies that have all grown up and listed on the stock exchange and were all unprofitable, but they're selling this dream, they're selling this hope, they're selling these stories. And then you have like legacy organizations that are like, we don't exist unless we hit profit and loss and maybe their culture isn't as dynamic and they're not believing in a cause. So is there a management change that you're seeing as like we sort of at our age group, uh, forgive me, I'm pretty sure we're pretty close to the same age, um, as, we, uh, as we sort of migrate into leadership roles, we're more okay with the stories and a more dynamic culture. And it's maybe the older generation that are a bit more like, if it doesn't make profit, I don't care about your stories. I thought you were saying we're the older generation, Dave. So I like I like that we're not the older generation. That's it's that's our cool. podcast, and there's no one else on it, so we get to say <laughs> however age we want. I love it. Um, hey, one of my favorite examples these days is General Motors and, and Mary Barra. Okay. Like Mary's been at the company for you know her the entirety of her career, and um, you know that's got to be around thirty years or so. Um, and you know she's very clearly telling a story about a company that is going to be a software company um, with an electrified fleet of cars that has a platform that provides a whole host of products and services and revenue streams that, you know, doesn't exist today. And um, by 2030, you know, GM will sell more electric vehicles than Tesla, and it'll be the, the top in the game in terms of add-on services, you know, that the an electrified fleet that's driven by software is able to provide. Look, that's that's telling the story about the future. That's making a whole bunch of investments in, a, in an electrical fleet that will pay some dividends now, but mostly the dividends later, while also managing a legacy business mm. that, you know, still has to, to operate to deliver today's margins. And it's the investors are they're there right they're they're uh they're seeing it and they're you know trusting her and that team now it's early in the movie and we'll have to see how it all plays out but i i 
I continue to take a lot of um, interest in, you know, how Mary Barr is lead, leading GM. And I think it's a good example of a legacy company that is future forward and telling a, a great story and putting their, their energy behind that story. It's amazing how disruptive companies like Tesla, right? Like very disruptive to come in. It's like almost basically like we're pure play software and we're just going to attach ourselves to a hardware device and show, and they, cause they just keep innovating over software and it just forces disruption in, in all the industry. And we were talking in our pre-chat about Peloton, like great example of like, they're a software company focused on content and it just so happens they have good hardware. And so you just wonder whether eventually can these other companies, can they innovate fast enough to catch up with them? I, I sort of think they can. I think they, they have like, if you think of a Ford and a General Motors and whatever, they have distribution, they have, they do have a brand. They have people that have bought their cars over a long period of time. And you do see a hype in like, I don't know, the Ford Mustangs coming out as an yeah. electric vehicle. And you're like, people get really excited by that because they're brand affiliated with that type of car. And General Motors would have the same thing and BMW and Mercedes and et cetera, et cetera. Where's the tipping point? Like where you, I, think, I think you hit on it and you said we're at the early dawn because I read something yesterday and sorry if I keep babbling on about this, but they go, someone at Google Cloud, and I know this is like clearly like a sales play more than anything, but they're like, we're really only just starting with cloud. I'm like, really? We're only just starting? Come on. And there's so many more applications that have to be shifted. Software development has to change. And it did make me think, I went, actually, I think we are only at the start of what is coming. Is that how you feel? That's exactly how I feel. And I think, look, you got to take me as a consultant, the, you know, the, the cloud providers is, you know, we're, we're all somewhat biased. So take it with a grain of salt, but there's no doubt we're in the, we're in the very early innings of all of this um, positive change and opportunity that's, that's yet to come. Um, and so shares in Amazon, Google, Microsoft, I don't give financial tips and have any affiliation, but if it's early dawn, man. Yeah. Look, I definitely don't give financial tips and you got to figure out how much of that growth is priced in, but we're in the early innings, no doubt. The, the amount of computing that's happening in the cloud is a fraction today of what it's going to be um, in a decade from now. In huge data sets, huge data sets now going to the cloud, like very early infancy, the dawn of AI and machine learning, right? That's right. And then think about, look, 5G is just coming. And so the degree of connectivity and the amount of computing that's going to happen on, on the edge then then comes back to the cloud. You know, they all there's just business models um, that are waiting to happen, right? And that's why I think the you know the legacy companies have a ton of opportunities still, yeah. right? And and it comes down to do you have the right leadership mindset around growth, the right culture? Are you embracing technology? Because you coming back to Rajiv, you better get the foundation set, the building block set now. Because if you do, then you're a seven. Yeah. And when you're seven, you have a shot at getting to a nine or 10 as all this new tech comes. So get, get that in place and then be obsessed with the people, right? Are, are you thinking about customers and how they're going to adopt all these new subscriptions and technology enriched products and services? Do you have the right team in place? Um, and are you equipping them to succeed, right? If, if those few things are in place, you can get to a seven and the sevens will ultimately get to nines and tens 
so as good innovation one. keeps waving upon us. Here's a good one, right? So you got yeah. you got a culture that you know that you want to innovate. I did this podcast a little while ago with um with a lady called Trisha Wong. And she um, articulated that sometimes within a certain culture, it just can't be done. And in my head, I was thinking also, I go, okay, Rich, how do you keep an eye on the future? Like, how do you keep an eye on the future? How does a customer keep an eye on the future when they're so focused on the next quarter, got to make the next quarter, got to make the next quarter? How do we take abreast of like, man, IoT and these devices and cloud, do we need to split off and create separate business units? Do we need to create what Trisha called the department of the unknown, which is a section of the business that is separated culturally, just focused on innovation and what's coming next and how to apply that into the new business model and then you weave it back back in. What's your thought? Yeah, look, the, so the good news is companies are, big organisms, right? And there's, you can create teams that have different mandates. Um, so for, for sure, you know, any, any big company has to have um, a set of people that are looking around the corner. Um, you know, back before there was the, what'd you call it? The department of the unknown. Department um, of the unknown, which yes. it sounds like you want to be in that, right? It's like the, well, the CIA call it, of, the, of the enterprise. Some some companies call it the strategy team. So, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, we're near <laughs> cool though, is it? Oh, yeah, what yeah. do you do? Strategy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. We like um, all day. But look, and there's ways to do this now that, that are their, their data and their technology enriched. Like there's no reason that you need 20 people, you know, reading literature about what's coming. We, there's ways to put up, you know, in, intelligence sensing and bring that into the organization in a, in a more digestible way. And um, so that's part of it. Part of it is, you know, companies that are more networked are mm-hmm. going to be, you know, more aware of what's happening. They're going to have more options at their disposal to, um, you know, to do things differently. So having an orientation to say, look, it's not all in the four walls. I need to have partners, you know, in, in tech, I need to have partners around people. Like there's all sorts of ways to um, find partnerships as an organization that make you smarter and, and better equipped. I think that's part of it. And it can't all just be assigned to one department to be future forward. Like everybody, regardless of what your mandate is, have to have some some percentage of your time that's pressure testing what you're doing versus some, you know, some more future forward scenarios. So it's a crawl, walk, run, experimentation, continuous learning, cross collaboration, sort of evolving to become that sort of living organism. It is. You sound like a consultant now, Dave. I read books. So um, (laughs) I read yours. I really enjoyed it, actually. Why write a book in the middle of COVID? Why not? So, uh, I have time, but didn't you get more busy as a result of COVID? Like more Zoom calls, more for. I know I read that in your book too, but I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. the The workday seemed to get busier, hmm. right? Like just like you know, there was less breaks in the action and more back to back Zooms. But particularly in the first four to six months of COVID, like you know, life outside of work came came to a screeching halt. It was, you know, a lot of family time, which was great, but you weren't going out and leaving your home as much. And so when I was presented with the book project in March, I did have, you know, a lot more weekend time to, uh, to think and write. Um, so it, so it did work out okay in that regard. 
But when we were thinking about a book about disruption, uncertainty, why some companies respond better than others, why digitally mature companies tend to respond better than others. Look, studying all that during the pandemic, which was this massive acute disruption, which you know had just clear human you know, uh, consequences, but above that massive business consequences, it was just an opportune time to study mm. you know, how disruption is impacting companies and, and how some leaders are responding more adeptly than others. And so, you know, the, the opportunity to do that um, at that moment in time was uh, just hard to pass up. I really enjoyed it because for me, there was like, and I think blunt and honest, there was like, there wasn't a lot in there that I went, that doesn't make sense to me. But what I enjoyed was that it was backed by the evidence. It was backed by stories of people. And it's a really good guidebook for someone who's sitting in an organization leading a chief digital officer or a CEO for that matter, that just understands the need to transform. Like we all know we need to get fit. We all know it, right? And then the people that are really fit are all talking about, it's so great when you're fit, you have more energy and you're more broke, you know, all that sort of stuff. You're only good for you, you know, but it's like, it gives you that urgency to go, ah, oh, okay. And then like also practical steps in which you can do it. Cause I like sort of what we're talking about where it's like if the opportunity for every company and the opportunity for every person is there in front of us. These companies that are two, they're all there. They can all get to seven. There's nothing stopping them. Nothing at their all. own urgency and their own will and culture to actually do it. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's a time for great optimism. I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist and I think every company has a time, has, a, has the opportunity to thrive in this era mm. um, and nothing's predetermined. It's, a, it's just a time for great optimism. Okay, so then, because I can't help but also then throw in a pessimistic comment at the same time, just to be like, just just because that's how the, my brain operates. Yeah. Did COVID cause, has it, has it caused a disruption? If you want to evolve culture, a lot of the cultural um, evolution comes from trust, comes from communication. You know, I was reading in the book about um, Humana that set up outdoor areas where people could come and network in it. It's those five-minute conversations that you have with people you don't normally, hey, Rich, what are you working on? Hey, I'm working. It was just like the coffee, actually, I had this morning. And I was talking to my next-door neighbor, and she said she had to do a performance review with people, and they were changing jobs. I was like, oh, yeah, the great resignation. And we just had this interesting chat. And I wonder whether she took from that chat something that I mentioned. I took something from that chat that that if I was working in a company, I would see great benefit in those conversations. Has COVID caused those conversations to be more difficult? And what are the consequences? Yeah, the, for sure, during, you know, in the, the peak of the pandemic, um, absolutely, right? The, the more um, organic conversations, you know, that those were tough. Our lives were very programmed and scripted and who we were gonna speak with was, you know, booked in the calendar. But we're emerging from that now in, um, you know, in, in, in most parts of the world where we are able to do some combination of virtual and co-location. And there's going to be more and more of that as, as the months progress. Um, and I think the companies that embrace the best of both are going to attract talent because people now enjoy um, a lot of the benefits of virtual work. And they, but they still want, you know, some aspects of co-locating. And, and the companies that can strike that balance, I think, are going to be the ones that thrive. And 
I think these CEOs that are saying we got to be back 100%, come to the office, they're already flaming out. The, the friction um, and the pushback from, um, from, from workers is very clear. And so, again, to the earth, it's not going to be easy to set up hybrid work environments and schedules that make sense, but it is where we're going. And I think it's going to allow for in-person innovation um, and, and, and organic ideation while also giving people a lot of productivity lift from you know being able to, to to be virtual and what's amazing is this never would have happened without a pandemic and again you got to see it's massive human toll nobody would want any of that hmm. but there's no way the business world was all going to stop and you know try something different at once and uh, we were able to do that and I think you know the the outcomes are going to be very productive for all. It's a pretty amazing time and what an awesome opportunity for you to, to document uh, what happened throughout. So if anyone hasn't picked up the transformation myth, I highly encourage you to do that. In what you just said also and just sort of wrapping, I also think that it's the companies with the culture that they'll automatically, it's almost like they urge to identify ways in which they can collaborate. And they're the ones that are going forward. It's not the mandates that are coming down from the CEO going, you need to go back to the office. I've worked with teams that are like, let's just virtually, let's just get together. Let's just leave the Zoom on and have the conversation or let's try and find a way to get outside together and work together and collaborate. And I reckon it's those dynamic living organisms and living teams that will really surge through this period as well, don't you think? That's what's really well said. Yeah. And that's adaptive, right? That's, that's understanding the conditions and it's embracing change. And I love the idea of just, you know, we want a team room environment while we're just leave the zoom on, go off camera, go on mute. But when you want to ask someone something, they're there. Right. And um, it's ways to recreate the best of what we used to have in a, in a new context, in a new environment. I'm excited for the future. Do you actually really think I can be a consultant or did I just sound like a consultant in one part, Rich? Come on. Is there a future well, for me? Your, your use of crawl, walk, run was, oh. you know, it's, that was very professional. <laughs> I could definitely bring you. To I just need a couple of catchphrases. <laughs> All right. Actually, then before we go, your biggest inspirations, where do you get inspired? Where do you, what do you read? What's inspiring you at the moment? Um, well, like I said, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I'm also a sports lover. So I, I love as much as I am disgruntled that the Cubs aren't, uh, you know, aren't playing well and they pawned off their, their great team. How could you not be inspired watching, you know, the Atlanta Braves, um, the team that was, here was a team that was 500 or even less than 500, uh, in August. And, a lot of the things we've been talking about, they had a, a growth can-do mindset. They brought new people into the team, adapted to un, you know uncertain conditions, stitched it all together, and went on this run. And look, I was watching it as a as a as a disgruntled Cubs fan, and I got goosebumps and took inspiration. So I, I take a lot of inspiration from from sports and and the stories of of these players. Um, you know, Do you manage bring that in? Do you bring that into the? Do you bring that into conversations? Because I I love team sports. I love common vision, teamwork. You got to go to practice. You got to practice well. You got to recruit well. You got to have the right attitude. You got to apply yourself. You got to have the right coaching staff. The rest. The 
whole lot, benchmarking and analysis and all of it lands so perfectly to, to business. I, I, I do all the time. You got to read your audience. You know, some, some people and companies are, you know, they love it. Others get turned off. So you got to read your audience. But I, 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 I love to use sports as a, as a metaphor for what we're dealing with in, in the business world. Um, you go into a Boston me. office and you go, let me tell you about the Chicago Cubs and why I love them so much. That's, <laughs> that's reading your audience, right? Well, Get when I go to Boston, out of here. I used to be able to use Brady. You know, that was always oh, a good yeah. one too when you talk about perseverance and resilience and reinventing yourself. Um, now that one doesn't go over so well in Boston anymore, but. No. Hey, finish the sentence. You ready? This is the last part. This is the fun All part. Right. AI will dot, 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 dot. That's the sentence. Make things better. Oh, okay. What things? Everything. Do you see it as business and personal? Well, yeah, for sure. I was actually thinking that, you know, just this week, Facebook announced they're going to turn off the facial recognition oh, um, features in, um, in Facebook. And uh, I was talking to my wife about it and she's like, well, I liked it when it told me, you know, I didn't have to tag who was in my picture because it knew it recognized their face. Um, and, uh, you know, look, there's obvious privacy things that have to get sorted out. And was it the right decision to shut it off or not? You know, who's, who's, to, who's to judge? But that's features and functionality that's freaking miraculous, right? That, that my computer can recognize someone. And um, there's going to be immensely useful applications for that, you know, well outside of, you know, the uh, tagging people from the wedding that happened last weekend. Um, and, but, you know, we're in a, we're, we're in a time where the ethics of, of, the, of this stuff is tough. And what the reason I say it's make things better is there's a, there's a lot of people that are worried that examples like that are going to encroach on our privacy that are going to change life for, you know, the worse. And I, I believe AI is going to make life better. If we do things like get it right ethically. Of course, right? Yeah, get it right ethically. Um, be respectful of, you know, the end users' needs, conveniences, as well as, you know, balance that with their privacy. So there's all kinds of hard things to figure out. But in, on average, AI is going to save lives, make hard parts of our lives easier to deal with, give us benefits that we, we didn't think you know, we'd have before. Think of the Rajiv story. AI was applied to that data to save lives. Yeah. Full stop. And, and, and deliver customer experiences that people just sort of expect. Like instead of having to ring and be on hold and whatever, it proactively sort of suggests how and where you can go get treatment or whatever. I, I think that's, that's, that's an exciting future. Now, one other thing that I, now, if every company is a two nearly on average and we're all moving to a seven, are we going to continue to work excessive hours with high amounts of stress? Um, look, I, yes, right. I, I, I don't think. God damn it! You just said AI is going to make everything better, and then you yeah, go. but it's not going to stress for the rest of our lives. It's not going to create a you know a, a permanent vacation. Now, can't we change that? Yeah. Can we mandate it off every Friday is off from now on? Like we're just going to have three day weekends. You will, but that's not an AI or a technology issue. That's a cultural issue, right? Like that's a how much is enough um, 
type of issue. And look, the reason people work hard is there's some cultural aspects and peer pressure and all that. But the, the main reason people work hard is because they want to. They're driven. They're motivated. They want to succeed. Um, and I don't know. You can't just turn, turn that, that off. off. Yeah. That's, that's human nature. That's how I just said the same thing at the same time. It's hard to turn off when you get passionate about something. doesn't matter about the hours anymore. You just, it's just going to happen. And then that naturally you're going to have to compete with people that are passionate. Yeah. I have a 14 year old in high school and I tell him, you got to learn to love the process, you know, school, you know, I know school's a grind, but then you're going to have college. You're going to have a job. Like you got to love the process. You got to find things where you, where you're working through it. It gives you excitement and energy. Um, so you got to love the process. My daughter went to bed last night. She's like 10 and we had to have a COVID test and we can't go to school unless you, you know, so she had some sniffles and we're like, we just got to get you tested and make sure. Anyway, short story. We get the text message, SMS message last night at like 10, no, eight o'clock when she was falling asleep. And I said, you can go to school tomorrow. And she sat up in the bed and went, yes. And I just was like, that is awesome. She loves school that much. And it made me think like if you loved work that much, if you work out and just went, yes, I can't wait to go to work, how exciting it would be to, do you do that? Do you wake up and you go, yes, because it does, it sounds. I mean, I do. I woke up this morning going, I can't wait to interview you. This is, I love this. I love doing this. I, I do. Look, but I'd be lying if you don't have the mornings or you man, I wish it was Saturday already, right? So I could go like play golf or, or whatever. I today about the Red Sox. Yeah. bother doing that. But you want 80% of your mornings. You want to wake up with a lot of energy and embrace the process, you know, but there's, of course, everybody has ups and downs. None of us live in, uh, you know, none of us live in some wonderland where it's always exciting, but yeah, I, I love, I love what I get to do every day. And it's, I, I tell everyone it's a golden era. If you can't get excited about being a strategy consultant right now, like go find something else because it ain't ever going to get better. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's so amazing, the breakthroughs that are coming through. Hey, Rich, I should let you get on with your birthday celebrations because I hear uh, it's a birthday coming up. Um, I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, it's been awesome chatting to you. Yeah, likewise, Dave. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for being on, Matt. We'll talk to you soon.